Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Knits Beyond Normal podcast. I'm Kate and if you're a new listener, welcome, welcome. This is a weekly podcast where I talk about knitting, yarn, zombies, dragons, and other geeky stuff on TV and in pop culture. If you hear something you're interested in today, go ahead and check out my blog at knitsbeyondnormal.blogspot.com. You can find show notes there, as well as links to websites for the shows, yarn companies, project patterns, or shopping sites that I might talk about. I try to release episodes each week on Wednesdays. You can subscribe through iTunes, and if you want to email me, I can be contacted at knitsbeyondnormal at gmail.com. Alright, so let's go ahead and jump into the show. So, happy Wednesday, everybody. It is May 11th, and we're going to jump right into knitting patterns and projects. Oh my, because I am plugging away at my Mad May project, which is a cardigan for a baby gift that I have been commissioned to make. I am making the cardigan in Sweet Nothing, which is a lovely light, light lavender purple, and that is in Madeline Tosh DK Twist Yarn. And it is the pattern called Silver Fox, and this pattern is by designer Lisa Chemery, and that's uh, C-H-E-M-E-R-Y. If you want to look that up on Ravelry, you can search Silver Fox. And this comes in lots of sizes from six months to six years, and it uses a DK weight yarn. And this is a, a bit of a new experience for me with this pattern, so I thought I'd talk about it a little bit this morning. I have never done a bottom-up cardigan before, so um, I've always done top-down, and I've always done set-in sleeves, just because uh, seaming and stuff like that just gives me hives. So this is the first time I've done this, and this one you had to knit the sleeves first, so I do have those completed. I got those done this week, and now I'm working on the body, and I'm about two two and a half inches up in it so I've done the initial little section of ribbing and I'm doing the smallest size just to see how I like this pattern and it is for a baby gift so it can be and the smallest size is six months so and by the time this baby is six months it'll be probably slightly into fall so this silver fox is a pretty pattern I've loved all the pictures of the example projects and different things and it has a, a lot of cabling and I normally love cables and I, I love these they're looking really cool as they work up but it is a little bit slow going because I do have to follow a chart and what I like about this designer is she not only included the chart but she also included the written instructions for the cable sections in two different size ranges so it makes it really easy if you're not necessarily a chart reader if it's easier for you to read an instruction and I can do both but reading instructions I find is easier for me to move quickly versus having to flip back and forth and decipher chart symbols. I can do it both ways but I like the reading better so thank you to the designer it really helps. Now this is not going to be normally when I do events like this like Mad May or we did Tiny Tosh uh, tiny twist knit along in the Tosh Stalkers group in March. Normally I like to bang projects out, but generally it's because I pick simple projects and this month this is not going to be a bang out as many projects may. This is going to be a couple quality projects if I get past the first one. Partly because I got a late start finishing up my shawl, but also partly because this is just a different kind of pattern for me. So I'll keep you updated. So far I like it. and I do think it's going to be worth the slow moving progress on it. If I do get time this month, I am planning on be starting my second baby uh, gift. I've been commissioned to do three lately. So the second one I think is going to be a simpler pattern, possibly a Gramps cardigan or a Young Einstein that has a little bit more stockinette, a little bit simpler. And that one I plan on doing uh, in boy colors 
which is a uh, got whiskey barrel in DK Twist, which is a really rich, dark brown, beautiful color. And I plan on accenting that maybe with a little bit of blue or green. And I also have a skein of DK Twist in, actually I believe this was the limited edition super soft DK weight that they had on the website from Madeline Tosh in their, their lovely green color of Mill Pond. And I have a friend who would like a cowl in this color. She saw it recently in my stash and loved it. So I'm considering undoing a quick short honey cowl for her. I do only have one skein, so it will be a small project. It's either going to be a cowl or a hat. So we will try to keep you updated on that. Going into Geek Files this morning, we have two episodes to talk about again this week. So we're going to start with Fear the Walking Dead. So, spoiler warning as always, if you have not seen Fear the Walking Dead, the episode called Captive, then you want to skip this section. So this season is definitely sticking with the getting better as it goes that I have been observing for the for the whole season. Now, there are still some characters who seem to be hitting a wall for me. Uh, I don't care about certain characters, and every time they do something, I want to yell at them. Other characters, it seems like each episode, another character comes around to where I'm rooting for them rather than against. So, But this episode had a little bit of both. We had a character that I came around on, and we have a character that I had started to come around on and took two steps back and now dislike even more. So, this episode is kind of like a to-be-continued pickup, because last week we saw Alicia getting taken, Alicia and Travis getting taken by the pirate crew, headed by the leader, Connor. And he left some of his pirates on the boat, but at the very end last week, Nick and Strand's friend Louise showed up and managed to take back the boat. And so we now have everybody on the Abigail, minus Alicia and Travis, and we have mostly dead pirates, and then we have a half-dead pirate named Reed. So, we see that with the crew in control of the Abigail, we see that they have Reed tied up down in one of the staterooms. Daniel's tending to some of his injuries, but his skills are coming in handy again as he knows how to keep him alive, how to cause just enough pain to get information out of him, and what information is going to be good. So, right at the beginning, we find out that Reed tells us that his brother is the head of the other group, Connor's his brother, and that he'll fight to get him back. So, bingo, bargaining chip, light goes off. But then Daniel makes a stupid mistake, and this seems like something this character wouldn't do, because he seems to have better instincts than that, but I guess we're all human. And Daniel leaves the teenager Chris downstairs with the psycho, which everybody could see was a recipe for disaster. I mean, come on, you do not leave the brooding kid who feels like this whole thing was his fault down there with your prime hostage bargaining chip. Mm-mm. And so on to Chris, like I, I hinted a few minutes ago... I was really disappointed in what happened with him with this episode. He seemed like he was getting set up to have this awesome character arc and morph into morph into more of a survivor. But in this episode, he literally just goes two steps back and goes right back to the emo moping teen that we saw in the first episode of this season. And then it gets even worse. He makes a crucial mistake, of course, seconds after Madison radios Connor that they're going to trade Reed for Travis and Alicia. You hear a gunshot. And... A second after you hear the gunshot, we all knew what it was. We all knew. So they run downstairs to find that Chris has shot Reed in the face, claiming he was starting to turn. And this is not true. Because one, he shot Reed in the mouth, and we saw that Reed was pretty good at getting inside Chris's head, talking. Uh, We also saw that he didn't shoot him through the brain. And before that, there was no sign of that. He would not have been turning that quickly, and Daniel actually had made sure of that. Plus, he was tied up. So, 
There was no reason for that. Chris could have just hollered if he was starting to turn. So we all, we all knew what that scene was about. And then we get this scene of Madison trying to comfort Chris when he realizes that he not only screwed up the first time letting the pirates on, but now he screwed up by killing the pirate, which he thought was going to atone for his mistake, and now it's made things even worse. And this scene, all I could think of was the character of Carol and the scene with the child girl Lizzie from last season. Look at the flowers, Lizzie. Look at the flowers. That was all I could think of. I don't think that was last season. It may have been the season before, but season four, I believe. But where the little girl just wasn't coping. Like, she was going to a place mentally with to cope with the disasters that wasn't okay. To the, and in Lizzie's case, she unfortunately ended up turning on the people that she was with and wanting to be friends with the zombies. Whereas in Chris's case, just bad decisions bad decisions, needing approval, needing to be able to deal with it in the wrong way. And the way Madison comforted him, you could tell she didn't agree with him, but she needed him to stop spiraling at the moment so they could deal with other problems. So I I literally almost was hollering at the TV, look at the flowers! (laughs) Because Chris is slowly becoming an amalgamation of both the characters of Carl and Lizzie on The Walking Dead, and that's not looking good. He needs to be a bit more like Carl and less like Lizzie. So then we get back to the pirates. So over on the pirate ship, we see that Alicia is being trained by Jack, who is hiding something. Jack him Now, the character of Jack... Okay, let's talk about Jack for a second. Jack himself seems like a very weak, easily manipulated character. And I'm surprised he's still alive in this kind of end-of-the-world scenario. He's being controlled by Connor. He was controlled into trying to manipulate information out of Alicia... And then he is trying to get into her good graces, but he's still lying to her and he's still being controlled. So we get him training her about how to see boats and how to get up on the radio to lure people in, claiming that's what her talent is. And she claims I wasn't trying to lure you in, but that's basically what she did when she got on the radio. And then she sees that the Abigail comes back on the radar, much too soon, because apparently Alicia thought that the deal she made was that her family would get dropped off on land and not killed. But then uh, she bullies Jack into telling her that Reed basically just kills people and then brings the boat back. So she now thinks that her family's dead. But he, Jack apologizes, and he seems to think it's okay because he saved her. He doesn't seem to understand that, hello, he just, like, had her whole family killed. She's not exactly going to want to make out. Or is she? The character of Alicia, you know, and this is... The actress is, is very pretty, and she seems like she's doing a good job. But this character, they can't... I can't seem to tell what they're trying to do with her. Like, is she just supposed to be the naive teenage girl that's making mistakes? Or is she actually got some other agenda? But it doesn't look like it yet. Although she may turn around later in the season. They've been successful bringing some of the characters around so far. Just not quite her yet. She seems to be just causing trouble wherever she goes. So we find out a little bit later in the episode that while Alicia is being fed frozen steak and being trained to work, Travis has been locked in a cage down below. They're in some big old ship in dry dock. And we find out that Alicia apparently is not the only one that made a mistake in giving information to the pirates. She is not the only reason why the Abigail was targeted. Apparently, Alex, the interesting character from a few episodes ago, was picked up by the pirates. She is the one who offered up the rest of the information on the Abigail and all of its passengers. 
And she apparently wanted them all killed, and she wanted Travis killed as well, or she wanted him brought to her. Now, this seemed to me slightly off base. She's focused all of her rage on him. Why not Strand, as Strand was the one who didn't want to let them on the boat, Strand was the one who cut the rope. Travis went along with it, but to his defense, the kid she was with was getting ready to turn. It was extremely dangerous. They did not know her. They did not know him. She seemed very attached to the kid. She wouldn't let the kid be left in the raft. All these things. He had a reason to do what he did. He didn't think Strand was going to cut the rope. He thought he was making a compromise, whereas they'd be able to bring her on board after the kid turned and she realized. But that's not how it's written. So we see a long conversation between Alex and Travis where they try to bond. Travis explains to Alex that, well, you know, she had a hard time dealing with the death of the teenager that she was with. He had to do that with his son's mother, you know, someone that he knew for much longer than she'd known this child. But still, it's we see them, I don't think they even really bond like it was intended, but we see that maybe she doesn't quite want him dead as much. And I think she's going to be back, because at the end of this episode, she made it, the last time we see Alex, there's a comment where he said they could use me, but people don't get to use me, which is a great quote. I still really like the character of Alex, even with this kind of odd turn about her being focused on Travis. The character of Alex, I still think is very interesting. I still want to know what her backstory is before she got on the plane. Anybody else want to know? She seems like a survivor, and I think she's going to show up again. Hopefully, maybe she'll focus her rage on the person who actually cut her rope, or she'll become more of an ally to our people. What do you think? Also, speaking of people who I think are going to be back, anybody raise your hand if you think Jack's going to be back in some kind of capacity, as we left him standing on the top of the boat, longingly staring after Alicia's escape? I don't quite understand why he wanted her to stay. Did he really think the pirates weren't going to kill her? After what her family did to Reed, do we really think that they're going to let him live after he was helping her escape? Eh, little iffy there. The best scene of this episode, to close up our episode review, the best scene by far was when we realized that when Chris shot the hostage, Reed, he did not shoot him correctly, so he turned. And Nick and Ophelia are in the room at the moment and seem, at first they want to end him, and then Daniel realizes they can use this particular walker. So he uses the bar and the guy's got to pin him against a wall. They put a bag over his head and tie his hands. Now we have a moving reed hostage. With the only wound they can see on him, because they cover up the stomach wound, is the face once they put a bag over his head. As soon as Daniel said, wait... I knew what he was going to do. And this is why I like the character of Daniel. He's a survivor. He's, he doesn't always make the best choices, like leaving Chris downstairs, but the things that he does come up with save the day, basically. I liked the scene about how they used him, and he's actually the one who took down his brother and the other pirates. Yeah, zombie bait. Awesome. Great scene. I'm looking forward to next week's episode. And I was reading online that they've actually been losing a lot of viewers, but they're thinking that it's because they're in a rough time slot. We don't get TV, so we have to get this later after the fact through the website. So for us, it's not an issue. But they're thinking that this is going to change because the season seems to keep getting better. And then they're going to go on a hiatus and come back when they're not up against quite so many big-name shows like Game of Thrones, which is running at the moment. And speaking of Game of Thrones, that's a perfect segue into our other episode review for the week. 
Game of Thrones, yes, is back. And this is another show. Both my shows right now seem like they're on an upward trajectory. You know, they started out maybe not quite as strong as they were before, but they're definitely working up to something big. And I'm excited. It's making for some fun TV watching. So let's start off with the most awesome thing at the very beginning of the episode. Jon Snow is not dead. Reminds me of, for those of you who've seen them up at Christmas Carol with Gonzo and... As for Tiny Tim, who did not die, <laughs> Jon Snow did not die. He came back to life full on. He's restored the Red Woman's faith in her Lord of Light, maybe in a slightly more doubting capacity, but she doesn't qu- seem quite as disillusioned and depressed about it as she, as she was before. Jon returns and comes back to be the Lord of Castle Black, or the Lord Commander, long enough to execute his murderers, yes, even Ollie, the little jerk who's still growling at him even from the hangman's podium. I thought it for a moment he was going to spare Ollie simply because of his age and his compassion, but I mean, really? This kid killed Egret? This kid killed him? I mean, this kid obviously is not going to be somebody who can act rationally when it comes to the wildlings. He thinks they're all the same, and he doesn't understand, so I was glad that he ended and I was finally glad that Alistair Thorne was finally gone. I mean, that character's been on the show since the beginning, but it was good to see that he actually, you know, there was a consequence for your action, even in Game of Thrones land. So that was a good scene. And I also thought that the end of John's story in this episode was great. He had a really great last line. My watch is ended. And if you actually, you know, know the oath of the Night's Watch, that's true. That tell his death. And technically he did die. So his watch is ended. But where is he going to go? What's he going to do? And now we have the question of is Sansa going to go up to Castle Black looking for him and miss him? Is he going to come down to Winterfell? And speaking of Winterfell, on to the next story point. Ramsay, if I was swearing on this podcast, I would swear here. Ramsay, mother freaking Bolton, needs to get his. He needs to get his. He gets a horrible hostage in this episode. And what in the heck is with this show and killing the friggin' direwolves? Why? Did we really need to see Shaggy Dog's head on a hook? No. I didn't need to see that. We could have, you know, they could have had, like, something else. They could have had some kind of mark on Rickon to prove he was a Stark. He obviously is the same actor, and we have Osha who took him away. How did they get to him? Now, I was a book reader... And this is, the show is, you know, moving more and more away from the books, but I don't quite understand what they're doing with this one. I don't. And the last place that I want Rick and Stark and Osha is with Ramsey freaking Bolton. Didn't he get enough blood in the last episode? Can't we at least wait one episode before he offs another character in some horrible manner? And I really hope maybe Rickon gets him or Osha gets him, somebody's got to take this guy down. Somebody. And in some horrible way that's some kind of karmic justice for what he's done to other people. <sighs> but that's... I can't keep talking about the Boltons, because if I do, I will have to add an explicit tag to this podcast. <laughs> I'm sure people who watch this show feel the same way. But it's credit to the actor. You're supposed to hate him, just like Joffrey. So then we... Um, speaking of Baratheons, we jump over to King's Landing. Tommen gets a chance to have some words with the High Sparrow. He gets a chance to express himself a little bit. We also see that um, his parents, <laughs> Jamie and Cersei, try to sit in on the council, and the council leaves. And we also see that Olena Tyrell is in King's Landing, and that she is there to try to get uh, Marjorie and Loras supposedly out of prison. 
we also see that they're talking about um, Sir Robert Strong, the um, uh, Frankengregor Clegane that has been following Cersei around. And I think what they're setting up with that is that eventually I think that that Franken Frankengard that's following her eventually is going to start killing people she doesn't want him to because he doesn't understand. So I have a feeling they're setting that up too. Unfortunately, somebody I was I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about this particular plot and they think that's how Tommen is going to end unfortunately that he's going to do something that that guard is going to think is against Cersei even if he's really trying to protect her and then the Franken guard is going to go after Tommen and Cersei's going to realize what she created and what she brought into motion but jumping over to another area so we now have Arya is back in the house of black and white. She's having more stick training blind, but she continues to get up. She continues to say her name is no one. And she's nothing if not tenacious. I mean, she's getting the living daylight speed out of her, but she's getting better. She's learning to block hits. She's learning to rely on other senses. She is, she discusses her past and who she was before she came there. And at the end, we see Jacques and reward her by getting her sight back. So Arya is definitely progressing, and I think they're moving her training forward in the quickest way they can, because we want to see that you know time's passing for her. She's not just sitting around, but at the same time, she has to go through a lot of training before she's going to become what she'll be. And jumping to another member of the Starks in this particular one, we almost got to see everybody except Sansa in this episode, which I thought was interesting. We saw Jon, we saw Arya, we see Bran. Now, Bran is still doing the visions thing with the Three-Eyed Raven, and he's still getting to see into the past. And this week, where he jumps is to the Tower of Joy scene. Now, this is the, supposedly the scene in the past that Bran's always been told about, where his father and some men went down to find his Aunt Lyanna, who'd been held captive by Rhaegar. This is supposedly after Baratheon conquered the Mad King. So there's this tower out in the middle of seeming nowhere. There's two guards that basically kill everybody but Ned and one guard, and then Holen Reed, who's Mira's father, was there, and he stabs the guard in the back. So now Bran is a bit a bit discouraged at this point because we see that his father had said that he beat him, not that the other men had stabbed him in the back. So apparently there's things about the story that the Starks have all been told about this event that are not true. Now, a lot of the fandom has always kind of known that there's going to be a big kind of secret going on in this particular scene in the past that reveals a lot about what's going on in the future. At the end of the scene, we hear screaming up in the tower, supposedly Lyanna, but we don't get to see her or what the deal actually is. And Bran kind of speaks for the fandom. I, I want to see you don't take me away yet, just like he did before. But Bloodraven brings him back and, you know, repeats the thing that you can't stay too long or you never can come back. And Bran and him have an argument that reveals a little bit of plot, which I thought was really interesting. That Bran's not going to be an old man in a tree. That he's extremely important, but he's not going to be the next Three-Eyed Raven. He's not going to be stuck there for eternity. So what's he going to be? It's interesting. And supposedly, according to prophecy, he'd never walk again, but he will fly. So is he going to become a warg? Is he going to be able to communicate through other bodies, through animals? I think it's it's interesting where they're leading Bran, and I, I like what they're doing this season, where they're showing him learning to use the vision so we get backstory while he's getting training. It's almost paralleling Arya's training, but in a different way. So a couple cute scenes this week. There was a funny scene with Tyrion trying to have a friendly conversation with Missandei and Grey Worm. 
and it just didn't work. And this scene was funny because it really was a showcase of how charismatic Peter Dinklage plays Tyrion and how formal the other two characters are portrayed. And it was it was very cute and it was it was a scene that really just kind of basically showed you that these are two sides of the table from very different cultures. And you know, they let it go on maybe one step longer than I thought needed, but it was still very funny. And the other important scene I felt like, there were two more about this episode that really stood out for me. There's a scene uh, with Maester Kyburn in King's Landing, where he has a bunch of poor little children with him. And this is right after Varys extracts some information out of someone that he supposedly was given the info about her through his little birds. Now, a lot of people have always wondered who the little birds are. They're, they're spies. We've always known that. But most people didn't realize that who they actually were. And this was pointed out in this episode really clearly. They're children. They're poor children that Varys treated kindly and gave sweets to in exchange for information. Because children are less likely to change the story for their own good. All they care about is who's giving them the sweets. Especially these poor little children who don't have anyone else looking out for them. So we see that Kyburn has employed Varys's birds, and now Cersei is using them for her gain as well. But we see that Varys is using the same tactic, most likely over in Marine. I thought that was an interesting character point, so now we kind of see wh- how information is being carried around. We also jump over to Daenerys, who has been taken to Vastothrak. But her fate there is not as set in stone as she thought it was going to be. She has a really interesting scene with the widows where she has a lot of attitude going in. She feels she doesn't belong there. She feels it's beneath her. But the the high widow has some really good lines where he she basically takes that attitude and just takes it down to the ground. That, you know, you you think you're better than us, but you don't even know if we're going to protect you. You're insulting everybody that may actually keep you from getting killed. And they point out that, oh yeah, you thought you were going to conquer the world with, you know, Khal Drogo at your side. We all felt that way at some point before it never happened. And they also point out that because Danny didn't follow the rules and come there directly, she may not even be allowed to stay there. They may decide to kill her or use her for some other means. So that set up next week's episode really well, because now there are things that we really want to see get resolved next week. We want to see what's going to happen to Danny. We want to see what's more of Bran's visions. We want to see what's going to go on with all the information being moved around. And we also want to see where Sansa's headed. And we want to jump over to the Iron Islands again. So I really am getting involved with this season. I think it's really going well. I mean, at the end of the episodes, I'm surprised they're over. That's how involved I am. They're filmed well. The actors are really set in their roles. It's it's just coming together really well. So I'm really curious to see how they're going to do this. I think there's maybe another season that they're contracted for before they're going to start wrapping it up. But I have to do some research on that. So what are you, are you following Game of Thrones? What do you think of what's going on? What do you think of the plot lines? What are your current theories? Uh, go ahead and shoot me an email or leave a comment on the blog. I would love to hear people's theories. Okay, so jumping into Random Roster for this week. Now, the stuff in Random Roster this week is something kind of fun. This is stuff all about the TARDIS. Now, the TARDIS is from Doctor Who. It's the blue police phone box that the ship that the Doctor flies has camouflaged itself as ever since its camouflager got stuffed back in the 50s when the show began. Or in the 60s, I guess it was. Now, on Pinterest, if you look up Doctor Who stuff, you'll see all kinds of things. And one of the most fun things that I have found is 
things that people make in the TARDIS's likeness. Now, what led me to this was a pin, who unfortunately the pin just goes straight to an image. I'm not sure where they pulled it from. So if you're the person that created this wonderful thing, let me know. I'll link you in my blog. But this is someone who made a bench that looks like this TARDIS. Now what they did was they took one of these, it looks like a, a linen bench where the top lifts up and you can keep sheets or quilts in it. It usually goes at the foot of someone's bed or in an entryway. And they painted it TARDIS blue and they painted white windows and made a police box sign in one of the little openings of the wood, in one of the panels. And then they, they upholstered the top of the seat to make a bench with fabric that is patterned after the exploding TARDIS that's from the Van Gogh episode. So this is awesome. I mean, any Doctor Who fan would totally love to have this. And this pin, related pins below it, led to other things. Like people have taken a door off their bedroom and then used the panels to paint it into a TARDIS door. I have seen people who painted their fridge different colors to make it look like a TARDIS. And the, the pun, you know, it's bigger on the inside, works in so many ways for when people customize the TARDIS. So you can do so many things. I, there are bookends. There are bags. I actually have a TARDIS backpack that I fell in love with. There is a DVD cabinet that someone customized to look like the TARDIS. I found bookshelves, towels, bedspreads, basically almost anything that you want. Oh, here's Christmas lights that have TARDISes that hang on a string. Almost anything you can think of, someone has made a TARDIS out of it. And this is awesome. This, this show creates so much creativity, spawns it, I guess you could say. I've found jewelry that has different representations of the TARDIS. And there's even, okay, this is the best one here. Someone took a, what looks like a cabinet and bench and built a TARDIS reading cubby out of it. Now, what, what they've done was they've made, it actually looks like a bed that they have added cabinets to the sides and put it all together and then put an overhang over it, painted all of it blue like the TARDIS, and then made it into like a cubby bed. This is so cute. If, when, when my son gets a little bigger, if he gets into Doctor Who, I would love to make something like this for him. So hats off to all you creative fans out there who make all these wonderful things spawned by this show. I think it's so awesome. It's so neat to see what people do with it. Like what their love of a show can bring them to create. And if you're somebody out there who's on Etsy who creates things for Game of Thrones, Doctor Who, Sherlock, Fear the Walking Dead, The Walking Dead, shoot me links to your pages and I'll talk about them on the show because I think supporting fan art and fan creations is one of the most awesome things we can do as other fans. And I think it's great to buy licensed products too, but I think that there's, I think fans will buy both. And I think it's just, it's just awesome to support people when they come up with these ideas. So jumping into my list for this week, this is a real life list. This is a list of things I wish I had known about being a grown up. These are all things like I wish somebody had just taken me aside and taught me. I think at the end of high school, people need to have a two or three week class or one month class where they just teach you things that you're going to have to handle as an adult. Or maybe like the first year in college, there should be like a life skills class. They used to have classes like that, didn't they? Life skills. But anyway, so these are top five things I wish someone had told me about being a grown-up. Number five, taxes. How to do them. What it means. What you need to keep. Where you need to go that you're going to pay money, how to save money for taxes. I mean, all these things about taxes, no one ever talked about until the first time I got a full-time job 
And then the next year, all of a sudden, I had to figure out how to do them. I had to figure out where to go. I had to figure out how much to pay, how much I was going to have to pay in taxes. So if you have a upcoming 18-year-old or a young adult that's getting a job, sit them down and talk to them about their taxes, how to keep their, how to get a hold of their W-2s. And every time, okay, another thing, every time you leave a job, make sure you understand where you're going to get your W-2 from. Because I actually have had friends that have moved jobs and then have had the heck of a time getting their W-2 the next February. So, number four, vehicle maintenance. Be a mechanic. Train to be a mechanic. Be related to a mechanic. Marry one. Anything. Knowing about your vehicle's maintenance, repairs, and care will save you so much money. Now, I'm related to a couple people that do know something about cars. They don't know how to fix everything, but they at least know how to tell me when someone is trying to rip you off. Because a lot of things you'll find if you don't know a lot about vehicles is that when something goes wrong with your vehicle, you need it to work quickly, especially if your job or your you know family life depends on it. You need to know how much it's going to cost. And other things I did not realize about vehicle care, exactly how much vehicle repairs can put you out. Those of us who don't make, you know, six figures or more and have a lot of extra disposable income sitting around, a simple noise that your car is making can end up having you out your entire vacation fund in one day. So definitely, you know, vehicle maintenance, learn about your car. Learn what noises it's supposed to make, which ones it's not supposed to make, what things are going wrong. Learn how to diagnose your vehicle or at least make friends with somebody who can help you and at least help you keep an eye out for being ripped off. Number three, how to argue with people. Sometimes you just have to do this. Uh, I'm pretty non-confrontational by nature. I mean, you push me into a corner, I'll lash out like anyone. But I generally will just, you know, chalk things up to lessons learned instead of getting in arguments with people. Like, you know, if I'm double charged for something, I'll go back and ask for it. But if I have to wait in line for 20 minutes over $5, I'll eat the $5. But sometimes you have to argue because in this world of corporate companies and, you know, all these different policies and things going around, sometimes if you don't stand up for yourself, no one's going to. And you're going to get walked over. I've learned this in a very real life way over the past year, many times. So don't always be scared of having to be a little unpleasant. So sometimes you just have to to get your way. I'm not saying you should do that first, but if all else fails, don't be afraid to actually call it like it is and demand to speak to a superior. This goes right into number two, how to not let unpleasant people get to you and ruin your day when you're not the problem. Now, I've worked in retail on and off for over 15 years. Sometimes people are having a bad day. Sometimes you can help them and sometimes you can't. Sometimes you just need to give them the number they want if they want to talk to your boss. Sometimes you just need to hand them the customer service number and stay out of it. And a lot of times when they leave, you need to just take a deep breath and tell yourself that their bad day does not mean yours has to be bad too. Number one, contracts. Read them. This is the biggest piece of advice I can ever give to anyone entering the adult world. Read every contract you sign. Now this goes for everything from your cell phone agreement to a rental agreement to a car purchase to any purchase that requires you to sign a multiple page contract, multiple paragraph contract, heck. You will be so grateful and always request copies of contracts. There's a new thing going around now in places like gyms and rental areas where, oh, your contract will be online and then surprise, surprise, when you have an issue, you can't get to it. So demand a printed copy of all contracts before you sign. It shouldn't be that hard. If they can get it online, they should be able to pull it up and at least print you a copy. 
and make sure that you keep it with your records. This will save you so much headache. And also, always ask what a cancellation policy is in contracts. This goes for phones, gyms, rental cars, anything. If there is a two-hour cancellation where you can get a full refund, you want to write it down. If there is a 30-day cancellation, you want to write it down. Because if you pay attention, you might actually save yourself having to get locked into some kind of 12-month agreement that you don't really need or can't use. Anyway, so those are my five tips on things I wish I knew about being an adult. So hopefully next week's episode, we'll be able to talk a little bit more about some more TV that's going down. We also have some things I'd like to talk about in Geek Files. And Comic-Con is getting closer and closer every day. So I might need to stop in on the Comic-Con blogs and see some things that are going on that I'm going to be looking forward to. So how's your May going? As always, definitely jump onto the blog and leave me a comment if you're interested. I see a lot of people come by the blog. Leave a comment. I'd love to meet you. Anyway, happy knitting for the week. And to sign out, as always, remember the best place to be is a little beyond normal. Enjoy your day, guys.